I am Chris Buskirk. This is the Seth and Chris Show. Welcome back. As uh, promised, as teased during the rest of the show, I'm joined right now by John Hinderocker from the Powerline blog. John, how are you? Just great, Chris. Good. Are you? Uh, you're at home, right? Well, I'm at home. I came. I, home I hope you have the heat on uh, from the office today because we got a foot of snow, so it's a little <laughs> slow going. We have we have two feet of sunshine. <laughs> I was in, I was in D.C. two weeks ago, and I managed to I managed to get in and out of there in about two and a half days, where they actually had decent weather. But boy, you guys are taking it on the chin this winter. Yeah, although you know, snow is beautiful as long as you're inside your house looking out at it. It's only bad if you're driving in it. Well, I can tell you that my father still to this day, this is forty years later, will fondly recall when we moved to Arizona from New Jersey. It was in December; snow was all over, and he recalls pulling out of the driveway to start the journey and uh, wishing his snow shovel goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> it's a happy day when you're a happy a happy happy day, John. You um, you wrote something I, I found interesting. We we were well more than one thing, but the thing we're going to focus on. But is uh, fantasy versus reality in November? You say here the reality is that the Trump administration's policies have been remarkably successful. This is most triumphantly illustrated by the GOP tax reform package, which no Democratic president would have signed into law. We've, look, we, uh, I think, are right to be concerned and definitely not to be complacent heading into November. But it strikes me that, uh, that Republicans have a good hand to play if they know how to play it. Chris, I couldn't agree more. You're right up to date because I just uh, posted uh, the, the, the one that you referred to, fantasy versus reality, in November about a half hour ago. But if you look at what the Democrats are trying to run on as they gear up for what they, they hope will be a wave election sweeping them, back into power in Congress in November, it's all fantasy. You know, it's Trump and Russia. It's Trump, the trampler on the First Amendment. It's Trump, the racist. Uh, Trump, I, I think he may be a warmonger. Is that right? I don't know. It's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to tell where they're coming from in terms of foreign policy. Also, he but is he, literally Hitler. Yeah, literally. literally. Yeah, right, literally uh, Hitler. Um, so, so, But these are all fantasies. You know, they don't correspond to anything... Uh, that's real or anything that affects voters' lives. On the other hand, on the Republican side, we've got reality. The truth is that that Republican congressmen and senators who are running for election in November have got a terrific record to run on, particularly now that tax reform has been passed. And, you know, next month, the large majority of American workers are going to get a, a pay raise. You know, and, and um, I, I, I talked in my post about something I just happened to see on CNBC this morning, which is that Lowe's stock, Lowe's, of course, the home improvement company like mm-hmm. Home Depot, is some analysts predict, predicted it to jump 20% wow. uh, in, in the coming year, in large part because of the tax cut. Survey data indicate that millions of Americans are planning on taking that tax cut money and investing it in their homes. And um, that's reality. You know, reality is I'm getting an extra 1000 or 2000 bucks a year now. Nancy Pelosi doesn't live in the same world that you and I do, Chris. She, she lives in the world of rich people and mansions who own vineyards, right, and private And aircraft. private jets back and forth between San Francisco and D.C. Yeah. So she says, oh, $1,000, $2,000, that's crumbs. Well, <laughs> you know, so, by the way, Chris, you might think from that that she's saying the Democrats want a bigger tax cut if a couple thousand bucks is just a crumb. No, not so they, much. 
but but no, of course that's not what she means at all. So you know, but but I think I think that most Americans, um, when they think about how we're doing next November, are going to be focused on the reality of how Republican policies have affected them, and not on the various fantasies that the Democrats are trying to peddle. John, did you see there was a news item earlier this morning that there's two uh, there's two members of the California state legislature who uh, have introduced legislation to try and basically claw back half of the uh, corporate tax cut that, that recently passed in, and clawed into the coffers of the of the state of California. I actually wrote about that on Powerline. It's just oh, I unbelievable. That. Um, these people would be right at home in the Maduro government in Venezuela, you know, where. People have been killing and eating their pets uh, because the economy has, has essentially, you know, disappeared uh, due to socialism. Uh, you know, California is a hard place to ruin. You know, the, the natural advantages and resources of California are immense, and yet, uh, given enough time, uh, liberals can ruin anything. Well, as you know, I uh, I, I was an, both an undergrad and a graduate student in Southern California in Claremont in the '80s and very very early '90s, and uh, it's it is California has undergone a transformation in the in those in the intervening years and not for the better, and it's well, all man made. There's a news item just a week or two ago. California now has not only the largest number of people living in poverty, but the largest percentage, I believe, of of people living in poverty of any state. They've pretty much driven out the middle class. You know, if you're rich, you know, Silicon Valley is doing fine. Hollywood is doing fine. Um, but but in between, uh, it's been a nightmare. I call it the plantation state. You know, it's you've got the very rich and the very poor, and there's there's a there's only a tiny middle class left in California. Yeah, one of the things that you know, uh, modern economics uh, is demonstrating over and over again is that free enterprise is good for uh, a widespread uh, you know, income growth and income distribution. And if you look at the blue states, the blue states are all the ones that have got the kind of bizarre income distribution with, with a few rich people and a lot of poor people and not a lot in between. And if you look at the red states, uh, they've got a much, much more thriving middle class. And I think economists more and more are coming to recognize that big government and big taxes are antithetical to a healthy middle class. John, what um, so you take uh, you take for instance these two legislators out in California who want to try and uh, want to try and sort of rewrite or undo the the Trump tax cut. You look forward to November. We know this is going to be a contentious election season. They all are. Uh, but what do Democrats run on? What's the agenda they put that they put forward? What do you think they're going to do? Well, like I said in my post tonight, Chris, I think they're really running on fantasies, and I think that, honestly, they're running on, on fumes. You know, this stupid uh, Trump-Russia collusion thing, which is totally, it's blown up like a cigar on their faces. Uh, it just keeps getting worse. I mean, this is uh, this... opposite of what they were trying to peddle. That, right. This is what I think, John. I mean, this... I seem I, my take is that the longer this goes on, it doesn't just fizzle; it actually blows back on Democrats. Well, it certainly should. What we're learning now about the corruption of the Obama administration—you know—I wrote years ago, Chris. I, I don't claim any any uh, prescience in in current affairs. I've been wrong, you know, like most people. I've been wrong plenty of times, but I was right about this one. I wrote years ago that of all of the 
baleful effects of the Obama presidency, possibly number one on the list, uh, historians would eventually record, was his corruption of the Department of Justice. We've never seen anything like it before. And what we're now learning about the corruption of the Department of Justice, including the FBI in the Obama administration, I think is shaping up. We don't know all the facts yet, but based on what we think we know, I think it's shaping up as the biggest scandal in American history. It should be. I mean, based on what, based on the little slivers that we're that we're seeing, boy. I mean, the uh, the corruption of of, the, of a major law enforcement agency uh, is bad enough. That's terrible. But the cor- corruption uh, in the way that it has been corrupted now, meaning in the force of one politi- or in the service of one political party versus another, that's something that just it, we, you just cannot allow that to stand. Well, we know now. I, I think it's inescapable. But the deputy director of the FBI hosted a meeting in his office, a subject of which was how the FBI could prevent Donald Trump from becoming president. Now, that's a scandal. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And how, how, do, how do we, well, this is a big subject, so I'm gonna, we're, we, we've got about a minute left, but maybe we can think about it. Can, can you stay another segment? Sure. Good. So maybe we'd th- we'll uh, think about it uh, during the break, but how uh, a lot of people don't know this. It's a, it is a complicated story. Uh, and I mean, you're a lawyer. You know this. When you're dealing, for instance, with a jury, you need to you need to make it very simple. What are the big themes that Republicans should be striking, and what are, how do we tell that story in a way that people can kind of cut through, uh, you know, all these names that are hard to keep straight, the timelines that are keep, are hard to keep straight, and get to uh, and get to that core theme of corruption within the FBI and the Department of Justice. We'll go to a break. Uh, we can maybe dive into that a little bit, John, when we come back. I also want to, if we have time, also like to ask you what you think is the best uh, best way to kind of do the same thing. What are the themes that Republicans should be striking uh, as we uh, as we get ready for the 2018 election? John Hinderocker is my guest. He's from the Powerline blog. We'll be right back with more of the Seth and Chris Show. I'm Chris Buskirk. Welcome back to the Seth and Chris Show. John Hinderocker from the Powerline blog is my guest. John, we uh, when we left off, we're talking about what is now, I think, the evident corruption of the FBI and the DOJ under Barack Obama. You know, people forget Eric Holder was held in contempt of Congress, and it turns out that may have been one of the more uh, that might may have been one of the better moments in the Obama DOJ. What? Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, there, there's a memo. Uh, floating around the uh, House Intelligence Committee, which the House of Representatives is trying to declassify and release to the public because it's so extraordinarily important. It's only four pages long, uh, as it's been described, and we don't know exactly what it says, but reports indicate that it summarizes the story of the extraordinary corruption of the Department of Justice and the FBI by Barack Obama. And what we believe the, that the uh, that the memo lays out is this this sequence of events where the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton uh, campaign hired Fusion GPS to concoct this fake news dossier about Donald Trump with these ridiculous allegations about him and and the Russians, and Fusion GPS then concocted this this fake news dossier, a guy named Christopher Steele. 
uh, a British guy, and they then took it uh, to the FBI, gave it to the FBI. And we believe what the memo says is that the FBI then, you know, fooled around with it a little bit, tweaked the, the fake news dossier about, about Trump, and used it as the basis for an application to get a FISA warrant, a FISA surveillance warrant from that court, and then used that warrant to spy on the Donald Trump presidential campaign. And then Susan Rice and other Obama administration officials, we believe, went in with so-called unmasking requests, hundreds of them, day after day after day, to obtain the, the raw surveillance data that the National Security Agency was generating, and then pass it on to the Hillary Clinton campaign to try to help her get elected president. So if that's what happened, and we think that's what this, this uh, memo uh, summarizes, it is far and away the worst scandal in the history of the United States of America. No comparison. Okay, so, so well, can, you know, I hold you, can I hold you there, John? Very, very I agree with you, but could you explain to people why, why is that? What makes this the worst scandal? Well, to enlist the Federal Bureau of Investigation to try to uh, elect one presidential candidate over another. And again, I said this, I'll repeat it. it. You know, we know that there was a meeting in the office of the deputy director of the FBI where they talked about how the FBI could stop Donald Trump from being elected president. That's not what the FBI is supposed no, to be doing. That, no, that this strikes at the heart of self-government. Stuff, Chris. This is the kind of thing that goes on in third world dictatorships. And so who should be held accountable and how? Well, Barack Obama ultimately should be held accountable. The reports on this four-page memo that the House Intelligence Committee, one way or another, is going to release, I can guarantee you that, reports are that it strongly uh, indicates that there are senior people in the FBI, the Department of Justice under Barack Obama, who should be criminally prosecuted. Will that happen? I I don't know. Uh, But... um, if, if the chain of events, as we as we believe it to be, uh, proves to be true, uh, there certainly should be accountable accountability. I think in the form of uh, of, of, of criminal, criminal prosecution. prosecution. John, John, where uh, where's Jeff Sessions uh, on all this? He just he seems to be the incredible shrinking attorney general. Well, I think he's done some really good work in some areas. I've written about this, as you may know, Chris. Yeah. I've sometimes said. You know, if we had a real conservative as a ge- as attorney general, a guy like Jeff Sessions, for example, he could just order these people to turn documents over to the uh, House Intelligence Committee. One of the things going on here is that the, the FBI has stonewalled, dragged its feet, refused to produce documents that have been requested by uh, House and Senate committees. We learned just what yesterday or the day before the FBI announced that it has lost five months worth of texts between these two uh, uh, FBI employees, the illicit lovers who were part of the plot in the FBI to prevent Donald Trump from becoming president. One of them was the chief investigator at the FBI. This, is, this of course, is Strzok. Uh, Peter Strzok was the chief investigator at the FBI into the Hillary Clinton email scandal. He cleared her there and arranged for her not to be criminally prosecuted. Then he turned around and became the chief investigator into the uh, fantasy uh, Trump-Russia allegations. And in the meantime, he was texting back and forth about how we, the FBI, can prevent Donald Trump from becoming president. I mean, it's just unbelievable. 
And uh, it, but the question is still the same. Where is Jeff Sessions? I mean, this this is well, his job. What I don't understand, Chris, the question is a good one. What I don't understand is why Jeff Sessions can't simply order the FBI to answer the questions, respond, turn over the documents. I don't know why he hasn't done that. Yeah, I mean, the, the why questions, I like to ask him because they're the hard ones to answer, especially when it talks, why is somebody doing something or not doing something? But it sure seems like, uh, if you're right, and I think you are, that this is literally the biggest scandal, not hyperbole. This is the biggest uh, corruption scandal in the history of the country because it strikes right at the heart of our, our system of government, of the election process, that this is something an attorney general needs to be on top of. And, you know, there's history here. In April of last year, April uh, 26, 2017, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, the court that issues these FISA warrants, wrote an opinion that was just scathing, denouncing the Obama administration for lying to the court, for making misrepresentations, senior officials in the Obama administration's lying to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. There's a published opinion uh, by that court denouncing the Obama administration for being dishonest in its representations to the court. So we know this kind of thing has been going on. It's, you know, this is not speculation. It just seems like incompetence, right? I mean, I don't think that Jeff Sessions is, uh, is corrupt. I think he just maybe lacks the, uh, the intestinal fortitude to do what he needs to do. Well, I don't know, Chris. I got to tell you, I, I don't know Sessions well. I've dealt with him some. I, I'm not sure that in his career he's ever been accused of lacking intestinal fortitude. You know? Yeah, but on this, uh, I mean, he's got to do something. Senate, but, but I don't know why he doesn't just turn that FBI yeah. uh, upside down and and uh, and get rid of the corruption. Right. It strikes me that there needs to be a wholesale house cleaning to, at, for starters, right, and bring in bring in fresh people who are are free of the taint uh, of corruption, and then pursue and prosecute the people who have done something that's wrong and illegal. Well, if I were in charge of of DOJ, I, the first thing I would do is fire every political appointee at the FBI. Right. I mean, every single one of them. I think they should all go. Now, the problem, of course, is that um, is that you, you get below that level, and that's where you get the Democratic Party activists. And, it, and we're not talking about your average FBI agent, who certainly is not corrupt. Right. Agreed. Who's trying to do a good job. The FBI has a very proud history, and most of those agents are terrific. But we're talking about the people at the management bureaucratic level who are all Democrats and who apparently, uh, it, it certainly, there certainly is, is evidence at this point, tried to enlist the FBI on behalf of the Hillary Clinton campaign. Well, I don't know. My one takeaway from this, John, is John Hinderocker for Attorney General. <laughs> John, <laughs> well, we got to run. Well, Thanks so much for, for joining us. We got to stay on top of this. I love your work. Keep doing it. Thank you, Chris. Have a great night. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. I'm Chris Buskirk. This is The Seth and Chris Show. We'll be right back after these messages. Mm-hmm. I'm Chris Buskirk. Welcome back to the Seth and Chris Show. want to remind everybody, today and tomorrow only, today and tomorrow only are the days where if you are a Patriot Insider, we have some special offers for you for the uh, Adam Carolla, Dennis Prager, No Safe Spaces Tour event that we're going to be holding here at uh, Grand Canyon University. We're going to have at the station here sponsoring it. We're bringing in Adam. We're bringing in Dennis. We'll have it out at GCU on February 27th. We got VIP tickets, all that sort of thing available on the website right now for 
Patriot Insiders. If you are a Patriot Insider, go on the website, click on the banner. It's at the top of the page, and it will take you to uh, the page where you can see all the details about that. Uh, What's No Safe Spaces? I will tell you. No Safe Spaces is the uh, movie that is being made by Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla together about uh, the uh, threat to po- uh, the threat to free speech on college campuses. Uh, the two of them uh, have been working on this for some time now. You remember we've had Dennis on, I think twice, maybe three times, to talk about the project. And that's uh, something that's near and dear to his heart and to ours too. And so we're very happy to be having the two of them come out uh, again on February 27th uh, to discuss the movie, uh, and to, you can just, it's a, you know, look, if you've ever been to a, an event with Dennis Prager, it's great. The only thing better than an event with Prager is an event with Dennis and with Adam. They're just, they are actually a really great duo. Seth and I will be out there. So if you, uh, again, Patriot Insiders, go on 960thepatriot.com. You can see the specials on Wednesday, the tickets and everything go on sale to, uh, to the general public. So, uh, get yours now. I'm looking forward to it. I know Seth is as well. Um, Want to, uh, well, you know what, actually, I was going to get into some of the things on uh, this memo. Uh, House Republicans, here's just a quick, uh, a kind of a quick uh, pressy of House Republicans are hopeful that a four-page memo alleged, uh, allegedly containing, quote, jaw-dropping revelations about U.S. government surveillance abuses will soon be made public. It will be. I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow, probably not, uh, or if it might be two, three, four weeks down the road. It will be made public, and the people who have seen it say it is staggering along the lines of uh, what John Hinderocker was saying in the last segment. This is, and I think John's right, this is the biggest scandal in American history. The use of the Department of Justice and of the FBI in in an election, in a partisan capacity, to try and keep the candidate of one party from being elected by the American people, people need to go to jail. Let me go to the phones real quickly. David in Phoenix, welcome. Hi, Chris. Hi, David. Uh, great, show as, great show as usual. Um, and you raised a question in the last segment that I had been asking myself for a long time, which was, what happened to Jeff Sessions? And what happened to so many of these people that we've known to be conservative and uh, for so long, and yet when it comes to these critical points, they seem to go all weak in the knees? And the only answer I came up with terrified me. Which is what? Uh, well, if you follow the capabilities of the National Security Agency and the FBI, but in particular the National Security Agency, which does our signal and electronic intelligence, They've had the capacity to listen in and watch all of our electronic communications of every kind for many, many years, long before they acknowledged the capacity to do so. But they're also listening to all of our elected officials. That's right. I think you're right about that, David. All of their communications, they have all their contacts. And if John Roberts isn't going to vote to keep Obamacare, What's to stop somebody from stopping by his office and saying, hey, listen, you're going to support Obamacare and say it's constitutional, whether it is or not, or we're going to release all of this that we have on you? Yeah, well, look, this is uh, this is the challenge of having a deep state, of having a pure, uh, of having a permanent state, a permanent bureaucracy that is unelected and unaccountable to the American people. They have too much power. They have too much information on people that they ought not to have in the first place. And, you know, in the meantime, it takes courage. 
And this is one of the reasons that people elected Donald Trump. They thought that he had the courage to take on a really entrenched establishment. Look, Aristotle says that courage is the chief of all the virtues. Why? Because if you don't have courage, you won't do anything with the other virtues that you may possess. And I think this is a good example of that uh, of that being put into play. Look, we've watched we've watched an awful lot of people over the years just suddenly resign, and they were critical people in critical positions, and it's it's frightening. Uh, absolutely. Look, think about uh, think about what an assault Donald Trump has been under for the past two years. Right, very very few people are willing to do that and could withstand it. Quite honestly, uh, he is seems to be purpose built for this moment in time. It would be nice if he had some allies uh, that were equally uh, courageous. David, we've got to run to a break. Thanks for the call. That is, uh, look, that's the issue. We need courage. We need fortitude. We need people who are going to do what's right, even if it costs them something, even if it costs them something. That's what courage is all about. I'm Chris Buskirk. This is The Seth and Chris Show, and we'll be right back. I am Chris Buskirk. This is the Seth and Chris Show. Just uh, back on Jeff Sessions for a second. I want to just make sure we have all the information out there. Jeff Sessions says he is determined to uh, find the uh, missing FBI agents' texts. These are the uh, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, the uh, two uh, FBI agents or, or an FBI agent and a Department of Justice official who uh, we know were plotting together to try and either keep Donald Trump from winning the election by using uh, the power of the Department of Justice or to try and overturn the election should he win. They were also present or at least Strzok was present at uh, a meeting in FBI headquarters before the election that was called for the purpose of what? For asking what the FBI could do to make sure that Donald Trump wasn't elected president. Is that what the police force is here for? To put a thumb on the scales of our, of our supposedly free elections? Somebody needs to go to jail. In fact, let me revise that. A number of somebodies need to go to jail. This strikes at the heart of our nation's system of government. Right at the heart of it. It cannot be allowed to go unpunished. It needs to be exposed, and the people who did it need to be punished. Attorney General Jeff Sessions said on Monday that the Justice Department will leave, quote, leave no stone unturned in trying to figure out how the FBI lost five months of text messages, text messages exchanged between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, the FBI agents who exchanged the anti-Trump, mes- who exchanged the anti-Trump messages while Trump uh, while working on the Clinton and Trump investigations. He went on, he said, we'll leave no stone unturned to confirm with certainty why these text messages are not now available to be produced and we'll use every technology available to determine whether the missing messages are recoverable from another source. I hope so. I hope so. I call that what? I call that a good start. It's not enough, but it is the right thing. Uh, it is It is the right thing to do in this case, in this particular uh, situation, you know, I uh, I had to I had to laugh. Switching gears just a little bit, uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, she's a Democrat representative from Florida. She's the former head of the DNC. She was on CNN today, and uh, gosh, even CNN was kind of wondering what did you what were you guys thinking? Why did you even go through with a three day uh, supposed government shutdown? Uh, she was on with Brooke Baldwin. 
uh, on CNN said that she was disappointed that Democrats struck a deal with Republicans to keep the government open. And it was basically largely on the GOP's terms. There were GOP Republicans didn't give up anything. Basically, the Democrats just said, all right, you win, we lose. Schultz said that she was disappointed in this decision and what, what it might mean for DREAMers and DACA recipients. This is according to a report of the Daily Caller. The federal government was originally closed down by Democrats refusing to vote on a budget that did not include citizenship for illegal aliens. Okay, I think most people see that and say, what do you mean? You won't vote on the budget unless there's an amnesty for illegal aliens? You won't do your ba- your f- basic fundamental job and allow the government to keep running past a, past a budget and allow things to move forward unless there's amnesty for, for illegal aliens, for people who broke the law? Unbelievable. I think uh, they, must, they must have seen some polling to that effect. When Schultz was asked point blank what the point of the government shutdown was, her response left, uh, left Baldwin's jaw on the floor. What one thing did Chuck Schumer get, you know, from Republicans to justify shutting down the government in the first place? This is what Brooke Baldwin asked uh, DWS. That's Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Here's, here was her answer. The one thing I would say that Schumer did get is the potential for momentum. Uh, Brooke Baldwin just was kind of stared at her. So the potential for momentum, was it really worth it to shut down the government? Yet they didn't get anything, uh, and nor should they have gotten anything. So what was the point? The point was is that they thought that they that they had the whip hand on this thing. They thought that because this is what their hard left activist base, meaning Democrats, uh, want. They want amnesty and open borders. And they've got people like Lindsey Graham and Jeff Flake and John McCain saying, oh, yeah, a lot of Republicans want it too. No. No. What people want is they want the law enforced. They want the budget passed or a budget passed. They want the government to keep doing what the government has agreed with its citizens that it's going to do. Fund the military. Fund the borders. Fund uh, the Department of Education. You know where I stand on that. I'd be happier if the Department of Education didn't exist. But we have one, and it should keep doing what it's uh, what it what it is doing. Fund all of those things. If you want to have a debate about immigration law, you want to have a debate about the border, you want to have a debate about amnesty. Congress can do that separately, separately. But it was a very cynical move on the part of Democrats to try and get something for nothing. In other words, to try and cram through an amnesty. They thought that they had, uh, as I say, they thought they had the whip hand because they had uh, the amnesty open borders crowd in the Republican Party, the Lindsey Grahams, the Jeff Flakes, the John McCain's, some of the others. Marco Rubio is one of them, too. They thought that they could they thought that they could try basically and steal a trick. They thought they were going to be able to do this by tying it to the budget deal. Now, we have to be very vigilant on this because until this, uh, until this continuing resolution is passed, until a, or maybe, just maybe a budget, but they won't do a budget this year. They'll do a CR again, which they shouldn't be doing until it's passed, until we have the border wall up, built, until we have E-Verify in place, until we have chain migration ended, until we have the diversity, diversity lottery ended, until we have a merit-based immigration system like most of the rest of the world does, like Canada does, like Australia does, until those things are all in place, we have to be vigilant because the cheap labor lobby that controls a bunch of U.S. senators and a bunch of U.S. uh, Republican senators and a bunch of Republican representatives, not to mention the open borders amnesty crowd, which is basically the entire Democrat party. I can't think of a single Democrat 
who is not for open borders, amnesty, and special and special deals under the law for certain people. Until those things are solved, we must be vigilant about these things. Why is it controversial today to say that we think that there should be no special deals for people who break the law, that the law applies equally to everyone? Why is that controversial? Yeah, I don't know either. It shouldn't be, but it is. But it is. So on the one hand, we've got the Department of Justice and the FBI working, actively working, to try and make sure that the Republican nominee for president can't be elected. They're working on behalf of the Democrat Party. We've got that going on in 2015, 2016. At the same time, we have a bunch of Republicans and all of the Democrats saying, well, the law doesn't equally apply to everybody. And then you wonder why average Americans, the middle class, rose up and voted for Donald Trump, say, here's somebody who actually cares about American citizens. Here's somebody who cares about what is going on in the heartland, who cares about the system, who wants to make America great again. How do you do that? By restoring faith in the institutions that we have. By restoring faith in the FBI, by de- by disempowering, by taking away power from the deep state, from the permanent bureaucracy that is unelected, that is unaccountable, and isn't looking out for anyone's interests but their own. They do not uh, any longer exist to serve the people of the United States. They exist to further their own interests. We're just, they look at it exactly the opposite of the way it's supposed to be. The Leviathan state exists to feed the Leviathan, and we're all just here as props. We're just here to create fodder for the Leviathan state. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Government is here to serve the people. We need to take action to recapture that. That is what making America great again is all about. I'm Chris Boskirk. We'll be right, we'll be right back. So we've got the NFL kneeling for all all throughout this season, kneeling when the national anthem is played. And of course, Hollywood has to get in on the act too. Kristen Bell, you may know her. She's had a fairly successful movie career in, uh, in um, movies like Forgetting Sarah Marshall. She's on a television show right now called The Good Place. Uh, she does commercials for Enterprise uh, Rent-A-Car and Enterprise Car Sales. She was hosting the SAG Awards uh, a day or two ago. And uh, used that opportunity to take uh, to take a dig to make a dig at Melania Trump. Why? Because her last name is Trump. That is why Kristen Bell got up there. She got a microphone in front of her, and so the only thing she can think of to say is to criticize the first lady. You know what? I don't need to buy a car from Enterprise. Rent a car for from Enterprise car sales. I don't need to rent a car from Enterprise. I don't, definitely don't need to watch The Good Place. Don't need it. Don't need it any more than I needed the NFL. There's lots of other things to do with my time. And uh, if that's the way Hollywood wants to be, fine. Let them. But they can do it without me. Let me tell you, try and get one call in before we uh, before we have to end for the day. Paul in Peoria, welcome to the Seth and Chris Show. Hey, thanks, Chris. A- amen on what you just said. I-, I mean, I'm a huge football guy, but yeah, I'm okay. I-, I mean, I'm all right with not watching the NFL. Right. Um, they don't come watch me at I work. Would- I wanted to give you some good news. I know that, um, you know, it's kind of like we're real short-sighted or myopic and not being able to see perhaps what kind of impact we are making. And, I, and I'm including you because you're teaching me. Um, I've been talking to a coworker for about past five years. She's Hispanic, but she's here legally. I mean, 
She's an American citizen. She lives in South Phoenix. And it's almost as if the light went on today when we had a, a deep discussion about what this Schumer shutdown was. And once I explained the details, I mean, all she heard was kind of the the Google headlines. Right. You know, re- evil Republicans hate everybody that's not white, you know, and all that junk. And once we discussed it and we and I was able to put it into context what was going on, and then we talked about 81 to 18 vote in the Senate, and all the Democrats went for it, went for a bill that they perp- they like. That's their bill. I mean, I, I prefer to cut back, but I just wanted to give you some encouraging news that you are having impact. We, we are. I think I am seeing a change with some of my coworkers, and well, hopefully this catches fire, at least down in South Phoenix, and we get rid of some of the goofballs. I hope so, Paul. I think you're right. I think uh, it it is up to to people like you, like me, people of goodwill, just to just to do this one on one. To, to have, have we have all have relationships with family, with friends, with coworkers. What we are talking about politically and for this country culturally is eminently reasonable. It's good for all American citizens. That's all we want, a politics that benefits the American people. And when people start to hear that and get past the Google headlines or the Yahoo headlines, or as you, as you know, I, if you listen to the show, I keep the MSN headlines up uh, on my as my homepage just to see what they have. It's craziness. But when you actually talk to people, it's amazing uh, how much common ground you can actually find. K- keep fighting the good fight, Paul. I appreciate it. We'll be here doing it Very again good. starting tomorrow at 3 o'clock. See you then.